Thanksgiving potluck is an excellent time to invite some friends. Food is usually a very good uh, time in our lives that we can get to know people, and, and I don't know about you guys, but food really gets me excited. So, uh, I have an announcement as well. Lathan Dudley, Super Bowl, Wednesday, Stoker Stadium, 8 p.m., 12U, go Broncos. Right? Okay. So Lathan's on a 12U football team, and he wanted me to announce that uh, if you guys aren't doing anything Wednesday night at 8 p.m., there's a uh, Super Bowl for the 12U Broncos. Who are you guys playing? Char oh, Chargers? Okay. So who here is a Bronco fan? Who here is a Lathan Bronco fan? Right on. All right. Good. <laughs> Good. So if you can get there, that'd be great. Sport him. What number are you, Lathan? 24. All right, good deal. Uh, last week I spoke on the Israel and Hamas conflict. I don't know if, for those of you that weren't here. What's that? I think so. Was it last week? Um, or uh, Palestine and Israel conflict? I thought it was last week. Okay. Man, are you messing with me right now? <laughs> My head's a little foggy. All right. So it seems like since then, the entire world has been discussing that war. The entire world has been discussing, if you read the Jerusalem Times, if you read uh, news in Europe, if you read news in Canada, in Africa, it doesn't matter where, if you Google it, there are articles written all over the world about this conflict between Palestine or Hamas and Israel. And this sermon study, uh, and, the, and the week that, it led up to today, after the sermon, uh, led me to ponder this concept of wars that have been uh, plaguing our civilization since the beginning of time. Thought a lot about wars this week. And go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. And many of you know this passage. Uh, there's songs been written about it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So we see war starting uh, in Genesis, and it goes through from Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation throughout the scriptures. Uh, throughout history, wars have taken place over our continent. We've had the Chinese War, the Russian War, this World War I, World War II, the second Sino-Japanese War. Uh, wars, if you look up, if you just get a list of the wars that have taken place over the course of time, it's just it's a very long, long, long list. And then if you go even to American soil, we've got some very famous wars, the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Civil War, the Mexican-American War, the French and Indian War, World War II, which was Pacific Theater and the Oregon bombing, King Philip's War before the U.S. became a recognized country, and the Queen Anne's War, also before the U.S. was a country. So we've had wars on American soil for a long time. 
And if you just look in Colorado, there's a very, very short list here to name a few wars or battles, the Sand Creek Massacre, the Battle of Julesburg, American Ranch Massacre, Battle of Beecher Island. You just kind of get it, if you're a history buff, you just start reading and looking at the different battles and wars that have taken place on our land here in America, across the world. And you look at it and there's world wars, there's civil wars, there's religious wars, there's political wars, and there's internal wars. War is a very common theme in our lives. And in wars, in every war, people pick sides. People can look back at history, whether they're engaged in the battle or not. doesn't matter. I mean, who here was uh, alive during the Civil War? None of us. However, we can all read the history of it, read what it was fought about, and we can decide where you're for the North or you're for the South. I would assume, because we're Christians and we love God and we believe that all men are created equal, that we would go for the North, like Abe Lincoln did. And those are the types of... Um, things that we're going to talk about today, and uh, when you look at Israel and Palestine, you see that there's conflict, and people all over America are either standing with Israel, or they're standing with Palestine, and it surprises me when you look at a lot of the college campuses now, um, people are standing with Palestine, they're standing with some even with Hamas, uh, and they want to eradicate Israel off the face of the earth. So... No matter what, you're, if, whether or not you're there, whether or not it's, it's something you're a part of, you're still going to pick sides. And in every conflict, there seems to be a good and an evil. There seems to be like, we would agree that inv involuntary slavery is evil. We would agree that that's, that's not okay. We would agree that six million Jews annihilated in World War II is evil. And another five million on top of that being killed was evil. I mean, it's not hard to determine that. And so when we pick sides and when we can look at the difference between good and evil, we usually root for the innocent, the good guys. And we see that in movies. I mean, every movie you see, there seems to be an antagonist and a protagonist. Is that the right term for it, protagonist? Look at Batman. Who is his arch rival, his nemesis? Joker. Well, he's got about, I think, ten or, I mean, there's, there's like... Freezing Man, and I don't know all of them. I looked it up real quick, and I didn't write them down. But yeah, so B Batman's got a lot of adversaries, and Joker being kind of the, the number one. Um, even movies like Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> a dumb movie has got, you know, you're rooting for the good guy. The good guys are the dumb and the dumber, and the bad guy is the guy that, you know, was holding hostage this guy for a million dollars, and they happen to pick up money. So even in Dumb and Dumber, you have good versus evil, or dumb and dumber and good versus evil. You see the movie Die Hard. Die Hard, there's good and evil. Dances with Wolves, we watched that with the family the other day. And you kind of tend to lean a little bit towards the Native Americans because the story is told where they're doing good and they're living their life and then the army comes in there and they kind of do some evil things to the natives. So... We see that in movies we have good and evil. We see people we pick sides on. And we see it in sports. The first thing that Vern said to me this morning, I promise there's Bible coming. Uh, this morning, uh, the first thing Vern said to me was not, hey, brother, hi, Nate. What'd you say? My buffs lost. <laughs> the Colorado Buffaloes 
lost, and so they're four and four now. But we all kind of get this emotional attachment to the teams we choose to follow. You know, if anybody goes to the game on Wednesday, we're going to be rooting for the Broncos. We're going to be rooting for number 24. That's going to be who are, that's who we're going to support. If you're an NFL fan, you'd say, well, I don't like the Raiders. In fact, I despise the Raiders, but I love the Broncos if you grew up in Colorado. I experienced this in the world, the National League Championship Series. My wife thinks I'm absolutely crazy. I'm sitting on the chair at my uncle's house watching a game, and Trey Turner gets up there with a guy on first base. No, sorry, a guy on second base, and he didn't execute the bunt. He didn't get the bunt down. It was like the fifth or sixth inning. It's a tie ball game. They could have gone ahead because the next hitter hit a, a sack fly in the left center. But he didn't execute the bunt, and I was, I was literally admittedly a little embarrassed to say I was very frustrated with Trey Turner. I've never met Trey Turner. I'm not even really a Phillies fan until they make it to the championship series, but I like some of the players on their team. But I was frustrated that he didn't get his job done because I felt like this ownership of my Phillies are going to win the championship series. So when I look at just life in general, when you have the wars, when you have whether they're universal or civil on our soils, Sports, movies, we're all kind of geared and wired to, to pick a side, to see who we're going to stand for, or root for, or stand with. And what brought these thoughts to my head, a roundabout way of saying, I was driving to the Divisional Wildlife office on Friday, and I like bumper stickers, not on my vehicle, but on other people's vehicles, because it really tells me everything I need to know about that person, right? Kill your television is one that's very common. Kill your television. I'm like, ah, eh, they're kind of a hippie. They probably read a lot. Good thing to kill your television. But just saying kill your television, you kind of you know. Um, Jesus saves. I pull up and I kind of smile and right on. Preach it. Jesus saves. Uh, Trump 2024. That's a conservative. And then I saw one the other day that said... Uh, explicit Joe Biden, and I thought, now he's telling on himself, I wish my kids didn't know how to read, and that really harms the cause when you're acting like that, was my mindset. But I pulled up to this stop line at first and grand, or the stop line, I was turning right on first, and I saw this back of this Subaru or car just completely covered in bumper stickers. And the one that caught my eye, it said, Hail Satan. Am I kidding? that hail Satan. And that caused me to look closer at the bumper stickers. And so I, backed, I stayed back a little bit, and it was a bumper sticker that said 666, one that says Megadeth, uh, one that said uh, Iron Maiden, uh, Witches Rule, Drive Carefully, There Is No Heaven. I mean, this place was completely, this car was completely littered with these bumper stickers. And I peeked up a little bit further, and I looked in the, through the passenger window, and this young lady was probably mid-20s, and completely in, dressed in black, had a big old nose ring, her hair was black, her lipstick was black, and she looked like she was very angry. And I said a quick little prayer for her. I don't know what else can you do. I mean... Uh, God desires all men and women everywhere to come to repentance. 
But my heart kind of melted for her, but it also got a little bit like I wanted to fight. Not her, but just this concept of good versus evil. And that situation lasted maybe five seconds. But it brought me to this understanding and this conclusion or this reminder that there's this war going on inside of each one of us. And this war has been going on since the beginning of time. And the war is going on for our destination. Think about that. This war that's going on right now in each one of us is, is a war going on to where is our final destination? Where are we going to end up? And there's good and evil that he's doing whatever is within the confines of the rules to bring us to that destination. Turn with me to Genesis. We see this at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, I think sometimes it's really important to go back to the beginning to understand what we're dealing with today. But in Genesis chapter 3, everybody knows the story. Everybody's read the story. It starts off in verse 1 where it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this? that you have done. The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. I've always found it interesting that the husband blames the wife, and the wife blames the serpent. I've also found it interesting that the husband was standing right there when the serpent was there trying to deceive them, which he was successful at. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the member, mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. 
Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden, out from the garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken. He drove out the man and, the, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This story, there's about 50 different sermons in this story. Maybe more. I'm sure there's more. But when you look at the, the, the context and the topic of what we're talking about, of that there's this evil force that's out there from the very beginning. God created this beautiful thing between Adam and Eve. And He also created this system of free will. And Adam and Eve had a choice. Adam and Eve could have said, no, get away from me. God said, I'm not allowed to eat that. He commanded that we don't. But instead, they decided to disobey God. And because of their disobedience, they were cast out, which in turn obviously led to uh, the need for Jesus to come back and redeem us. In the next, the very next chapter, we talk about Cain and Abel. And it's this, this goal, this, the goal for today for me is to help Help us understand that there is a massive, massive war and battle going on in this world. And it's not just Palestine, it's not just Israel, but this war is for your destination. It's for your eternity. And in Genesis chapter 4, after they had been banished from the garden, Adam and Eve uh, consummated their marriage, conceived and bore Cain. And uh, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel, so you have Cain and Abel. We know the story of Cain and Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, look at this next verse. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, I have a really, really really close friend of mine who's going through some um, struggles at a, a church because the church that he is a, a leader at, he is of the minority of people that want to talk about the hard subjects. They don't want to talk about sin. They want to just say, okay, we've got this ecumenical belief system that everybody is on the right road. We need to just forgive. We need to not call people out, we need to not discuss things with them, we're just going to let it be. And they're opposed to discussing sin because they're afraid if they do discuss sin, people are not going to want to come back because they're convicted and they can find a church down the road that will, in fact, accept their lifestyle. So when I look at this scripture and it says, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. When I look at the story of Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, and they have this relationship, and they say, hey, look, there's a really cool 
fruit. There's a really cool tree. Let's eat of that. Oh, we can't eat of it. God said don't do it. Satan says, oh, no, it's okay if you eat of it. You don't need to worry about that. You will not die. There is this battle and this war that is very clear in Scripture from beginning to end. And we see it time and time and time again. There is this physical example throughout the entire Old Testament that a battle is taking place. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, going over to the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it's, it's talking about this war that we are in, involved in. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Which wage war against your soul. Sin desires to have you, but you must master it. And it says here, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I am at about... 50% of energy level right now, okay? Just telling you. I'm completely, I don't know what it is. Brain's not working right, it's foggy. Uh, I almost got taken on the fact that I didn't preach about what I preached on last week. You had me convinced. (laughs) Because I forgot what I preached on last week. It's not working right. But what is working right is my ability to understand and read basic passages in Scripture that recognize that every one of us are in this battle together. Every one of us are in this war together. Palestine, Israel, Chinese, Russia, we're all in a battle. So that battle exists, we know that that battle exists, so how do we combat it? We know it exists, so how do we combat it? In Ephesians chapter 6, the passage that all of us I'm sure have read, finally be strong in the Lord, verse uh, 10. Ephesians 6, 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul is telling the church at Ephesus to put on the whole armor of God. But he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There is a battle happening. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you think that that car with the bumper stickers, do you think she had spiritual forces that are taking over her? Hail Satan, 666. Do you think there was like a spiritual war and battle going on, like angels of death just watching her and covering her, trying to just get her completely away from any concept of God? 100%. We don't see it. It says here that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not like a physical armed man is coming and grabbing her and taking her and saying, I'm going to kill you and take you to the depths of hell. That's not what, it, that's not what happens. What happens is it says our struggle, our wrestling match is, against, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when we see someone like that, we've got to understand there's not this strong-armed man holding her down. There's a 
a spiritually strong-armed evil force that has gotten in her soul, and the desire is to have that person live without God for eternity. And we can't see it. That's what's crazy. We can't, I mean, I, I was, when we were in Alaska, my buddy and I, Nick, were walking, and this person was just talking to themselves, and it's like, I was reminded of the Gospels, where there's something bad going on inside this person's spirit, and my buddy said, man, I wish I had the faith to just go, Jesus, take the spirit from this person. Cast it in the pigs or do whatever. But there's a, there's a genuine, serious battle that we can't see going on. And if we think we're not a part of it somehow, or that we're not a person involved in the battle, I think we're kidding ourselves. In 2 Kings, go to bless you, trees. 2 Kings chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 6, the story of Elisha here. And I, I want to reiterate about this spiritual battle that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, but in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 15, it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And a servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? We are going to get whooped. There are people all around us, chariots around us. We're going to lose this battle. He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So he's going up against a battle, and all he can see is the physical chariots that are going against them. And then Elisha prayed in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not for the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. There was a spiritual army that was ready to go to battle. There was a spiritual army that went to battle. Can you imagine if we could actually see the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that is talked about in the Bible? Sir, think about that. If, if we walked out, if I was to see around this young lady's car the demonic forces that were there, or if I were to see around this church body, or if I were to see around somebody that is struggling and that is praying for God to help, the angels and God helping, if we could see the army of God, would that change our perspective on our day-to-day? -day? If we could actually see it? It wouldn't mind. So the antidote, the antidote for falling, anecdote for falling for the enemy's war tactics, because we've established that we see it in Genesis, that there is a sin that's desiring to have us, but we must master it. We can see that there's spiritual forces of evil. We can see that there's spiritual forces of good. So what is the antidote for falling for the enemy's war taxes? In James chapter 4, in James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, 
that your passions are at war within you. So James is dealing with the seven churches, or I'm sorry, the twelve, the twelve churches, the twelve tribes in dispersion scattered among the nations. And he says, what causes these quarrels and what causes these fights that are among you, these, Christians, these Christian people? And he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? These battles are going on inside each one of us. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people do not know that the friendship, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's the anecdote. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The story just popped into my head. I ran into somebody that I knew recently who is struggling with a uh, marital relationship. And the advice that this person's been given, it's no one uh, that you guys know, just so you know. I don't try and put a name to it. But the, rela- the, the relationship advice that she's getting is from some very, very, very bad counsel. And this person feels that God is saying, it's okay for you to go okay for you to go. And there hasn't been anything that I've been confided in that is grounds for divorce. So, the counsel she's getting is, you're okay, you can leave. It's, it's, you've earned it. You've put in your time. It's not getting better. Or now that it's getting better, you're over it, so just leave. And in this conversation, she's also telling me that she is saved and her husband is not, and that she's fully willing to give her life to God, and she's going to do whatever he wants her to do. I said, well, um, if I'm going to be totally candid with you, it doesn't sound like you've completely submitted to the will of God in your life. And you've got turmoil in your life right now. Because you have not fully submitted to God's will. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. All of these physical signs we see, they, they, they remind me of, they serve as signs for two things. One, there is a battle that we are engaged in. Whether we... For, uh, whether we feel it or not. I mean, I'm just trying to picture Adam and Eve in the garden and they're walking with God and then all of a sudden they have this temptation. Do you think they said to each other, hey, hold on, let's discuss this, Satan. We want to find out. I know this is against God's will, but what do you think? Well, I think it's okay. What do you think? Well, I mean, it looks pretty good and we're going to become really smart. Uh, Do you think we're being deceived? Do you think we're being deceived? I don't think so. He looks, he's handsome. He's nice. He's, you think we're being deceived? No, I don't think we're being deceived. Okay, sure, we'll have a bite. Let's go. 
I think they were completely taken over by their own desires, the passions within them, the desire to have their own knowledge, the desire to have their power, the desire to see the strength, see from the eyes of God, and that's what caused them to fall. They were oblivious to what was happening. And so when I see that scripture, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the first conclusionary, uh, if that's even a word, I don't know if it's a word or not, but the first uh, conclusion here is that there is a battle that we are engaged in, 100% a battle we are engaged in, and whether or not we feel it. And the second point is that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And when it talks about that the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, and then we look at 2 Kings chapter 6, and we see the spiritual forces of good that are surrounding us, and I think that's what we've got to focus on. So, that's what I have for today. Uh, that's all I have for today.